Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, thanks for listening to the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm Sarah Ellis, one of your co-hosts, and this is the first in our next series of the Ask the Expert interviews. Today, you're going to hear my conversation with radio host and author Celeste Headley. I got in touch with Celeste because I love her TED Talk, which is called 10 Ways to Have Better Conversations. It's something I recommend all the time. And it turns out I'm not her only fan, as her talk has actually had more than 23 million views. So I just got in touch with her out of the blue and just said I'd love to talk to you about having conversations about how we can have better conversations and what that looks like. And she very generously, I suspect not really knowing who we were or what we do, just said yes, which I really appreciated. She is brilliant to talk to because she's a great example of an expert practitioner who's taken all of her insights and her knowledge, added to that with academic rigorous research and then made her ideas really practical and helpful for us all to learn from. So very in keeping, I think, with Squiggly Careers and what we're trying to do. So I hope that listening to our conversation today helps you to have better conversations, and I'll be back at the end to let you know what's next. Celeste, thank you so much for joining us today on the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation together. I am too. Thanks for having me. You're really welcome. So I'm going to dive straight in with conversations, very much part of our everyday lives. You talk about the fact that they are uniquely human. They're kind of part of who we are and and what we do. And they are so critical for how we build relationships. And yet I have rarely seen it be a skill that gets lots of appreciation or really kind of invested in within a kind of work context why do you think that is from all the research that you've done the people that you've spoken to to me there seems to be this gap between recognizing their importance and then perhaps doing anything about it there's a couple things going on here and you're absolutely correct in fact one survey of all the business journals found that listening for example was one of the top rated abilities between academics and executives and yet the subject of listening came up maybe 1% of the time in these business journals. (laughs) So yeah, we seem to recognize the importance and yet don't spend any time working on them. So there's a few things going on. The first one is that we don't think it's our responsibility. In other words, research shows that more than four out of five people say that a bad conversation or bad communication played a role in trashing or crashing a relationship at some point. But fewer than one out of five think it was their fault. 
I mean, you can do the math. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we tend to think that when a conversation goes wrong, it was the fault of the other person. And that means we're never going to work on our conversational skills, right? We're mm -hmm. always going to assume the other person has work to do and complain about what they did wrong. There's a few other things going on as well. For example, the smarter you are, the worse you are in conversation. <laughs> And again, the smarter you are, the more your confidence goes up, but you're possibly because of that, your conversational skills go down. You're less likely to listen to other people, for example. You know a lot of things, and so you approach conversations as a way for you to relay the information that you have. Human beings, I mean our species, Homo sapiens, we automatically rank people and decide where we are in the social pecking order. And so we, somewhere in our brains, have ranked everyone in relation to us. And if someone is of lower rank than us, we don't listen to them. So it requires effort in order to make sure that you're not only improving your listening skills, but also recognizing that you need to. Yeah, it sounds like it's a combination of both effort. And also, if we're being really honest with ourselves, I was listening to you there talking about that ranking, which feels intuitively uncomfortable, but I suspect what we all do, whether we know it or not. And there's a bit of letting go of ego, I suspect, as well as kind of part of this, because you mentioned a few times around with conversations, so often we want to make it about us. We want to kind of do the talking rather than the listening. And so I thought, if we're going to take this really seriously today, and I think preparing for a conversation with someone who is an expert in conversations was one <laughs> of the more intimidating um, things that I've had to do this year. So I was thinking... Right, what do I do that hinders rather than helps quality conversations? And so I thought, right, I'm going to share one with you, Celeste, okay. and see if you can help me with my one. And I think one of the things that I have a tendency to do is that when I'm talking to someone, I come up with lots of new ideas. And so I get distracted by and actually can then derail a conversation with those new ideas. So it then means that the focus shifts, it then means that perhaps what's important about that conversation gets lost. And it's because I naturally love coming up with ideas and I like making connections between different things. But then when I really think about that, I'm not sure that always serves that conversation or that's not always, I think, what matters most in that moment. But because it pops into my head, I end up saying it. And so I feel like I then lose the focus and the brevity and probably ultimately the usefulness of what that conversation was originally intended for because of this tendency to kind of add in new stuff, I yeah. think, all of the time. There's a couple things. You can think of it this way. The way that you are describing your conversations is as though you're speeding by at 75 miles an hour on the highway. So signs are coming and zooming by, vroom, vroom, and, and that's, those are like your thoughts. And so you're not really taking in any of the scenery. You're not really understanding any mm. of the cities that you pass by. What you want instead of this sort of horizontal conversation is a vertical conversation. And that requires you to stop the car. And so you just have to sort of let the signs go flash by you and then return yourself to listening. And frankly, this requires training. I mean, you literally have to sort of train your brain to do it to where it becomes a habit so that 
by the time you come back, right, your thought comes in, you tell your brain, no, 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 let's go back to listening. And then you return to listening. That ultimately will take you less than a second. It will be very, very quick. I really love that kind of metaphor of you missing out on the scenery by just kind of keeping going and actually losing an opportunity to really explore and to have a kind of a more meaningful conversation with someone. I think you've almost got to choose to think I want to improve the quality of my conversations and my listenings because it's not just going to happen. Right. No, it doesn't happen. It's very much like working out at the gym. You know, Mm. I give keynote speeches all over the world and I always warn people, listen, you're going to get fired up, (laughs) but you're not going to be able to say, okay, from now on, I'm going to be a great listener and then walk (laughs) out of this ballroom and you're a great listener. That's not how that works. It doesn't work that way to go to the gym, have a really great workout and say, okay, done for the rest of my life. It's going to be a discipline. You got to get back on that treadmill every single day. You can't think of it as though you're gaining knowledge. You have to think of it as though you are actually practicing an ability. You include in your book actually a great quote from Stephen Covey where he says, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. And I was really interested in your work in terms of, as you've sort of described, we've kind of got to break this habit of hearing and replace it with active listening, with kind of really listening. And I just wondered if you could expand a little bit on in your experience, like what does that look like, feel like? Because I know that you've also worked really hard on this for yourself, despite being a kind of real expert in the area. So perhaps we could just bring to life a little bit more what active listening is like in practice when we start to really practice it. And frankly, I am still working on it. (laughs) When I say that you don't just learn how to listen and then you're good for the rest of your life, it really is always going to be a work in progress. And, you know, there's different levels of listening, as you say. We say active listening, but let me give you some more, even more specific ways to think about how we listen. For example, there's evaluative listening. That's when listening is actually, you see it as somebody else's responsibility. It's when you respond with judgment or respond with, was that correct or incorrect? In other words, you're listening only long enough to decide whether you agree with what this person's saying, and then you hear no more. You're just waiting to tell them what they got right or what they got wrong. That's the lowest level of listening. It's frankly the listening the vast majority of people engage in. Then there's interpretive listening, and that's when you're actively trying to understand what someone's saying, but only to the extent that you want to give feedback. And then there's the final level, which is transformative listening. And that kind of listening in which you're engaged to such an extent that you'd actually be willing to change your mind, to have an exchange of ideas, to entertain a different perspective and accept that that other perspective is as valid as yours, whether you agree with it or not. Transformative listening is what you're always should be aiming for. And it's called transformative because you are are open to the idea that the listening could transform you. Mm-hmm. The thing for me is like research shows that, in fact, when you're in a conversation, the less you talk, the more you enjoy the conversation. It's an inverse mm-hmm. ratio. This was research that was done just a couple years ago, and they found, quote, I mean, I'll quote directly from the report. They said people enjoyed their conversations more when they spoke a smaller proportion of the time. 
you know, you see the kind of the difficulty here. We get these <laughs> shots of dopamine every time we talk or talk about mm. ourselves. Dopamine is the addiction hormone. It it gives you a very short-term burst of energy and pleasure in your brain. It's what you get in your brain when you take a shot of heroin. But the longer-term pleasure, the kind of pleasure that can actually reap benefits for years, if not for the rest of your life, are the ones that bring shots of serotonin and oxytocin. Those are the hormones that are associated with, like, the love of your family or cuddling a dog. Those are the kind of reactions you get in your body when you feel a sense of belonging, when the, the social interaction that you have actually makes you feel you belong there and you belong to part of a community. And there was a kind of specific technique, if that's the kind of the right word to use, that you mentioned in the book when you're talking about empathy. When you were talking about empathy, you make the distinction between what you call a shift response and a support response when you're having a conversation and trying to build empathy. And I wonder if you could just explain that for our listeners so they can understand the difference and, and kind of how it's useful in terms of building empathetic relationships. The shift response is one in which we shift attention back to ourselves. I should say all of this, these terms and the research that underlies them came from a sociologist named Charles Derber. Um, and he wrote a book called The Pursuit of Attention. And he's talking about in that book about a phenomenon called conversational narcissism. Now that sounds really scary, <laughs> but really what he's just saying is that most of us are very talented and skilled at turning the attention back to ourselves. It's partly because the subject of ourselves is very comfortable and familiar and it's familiar ground. We know what we're talking about, but it's also because attention feels really good. So a shift response is one in which Somebody says something, they say, oh, I'm going to take my dog for a walk this afternoon. And you say, instead of saying, oh, how far do you take you? Do you take your dog for a walk every day? How far are you going to go? What kind of dog do you have? Instead, you shift the attention to yourself by saying, oh, you know, I have a dog too. And I take her for a walk, you know, twice a day at morning and then in the afternoon. That's a shift response. The support response is the one I gave an example of earlier. What kind of dog do you have? How often do you walk your dog? Where do you walk? Those are all ones in which you're supporting the statement that they just made. And, you know, I probably don't need to tell you which one most of us do. <laughs> <laughs> we tend to shift attention back to ourselves. And this is something Charles Derber also talked about is that sometimes we're subtle about it. Sometimes we shift attention simply by withholding supportive energy. So for example, somebody would say, oh, I'm going to take my dog for the walk the afternoon. And you say, huh. <laughs> and they say, yeah, you know, she's an active breed. And so she really, you know, she needs more exercise. And you say, yeah. And then they say, oh, do you have a dog? Right. So we're just <laughs> withholding energy until they shift it back to us. It, that's also a way that we do this. <laughs> and I do think sometimes people do it with a, you know, you think you're perhaps creating connection. So you mistake a kind of shared experience because, you know, somebody tells you something's happened to them and you think, oh, that happened to me. And actually it was one of the things that I really had to learn when I was kind of training to kind of be a coach and, and to kind of make that transition in my career. One of the things that you often feel in the moment is useful or helpful to somebody as part of a coaching conversation is to say, I've experienced something similar. I had a difficult manager or I've been made redundant but what I started to learn is the minute you do that 
you do shift the conversation to make it all about you and you've stopped making it about the person that you're trying to support. And often, actually, you know, you stop people being able to confront things that are really challenging because you've kind of given them a different way to take the conversation and you've actually got to really kind of stick with what it is somebody's trying to talk to you about. But it's a real skill, isn't it? And it's one that... um I think you said this actually in your TED talk, perhaps as one of your first tips around just curiosity, almost approaching every conversation with curiosity and always assuming that you've got something to learn. Just that idea of if you started every conversation just with that perspective and that point of view, that would be really powerful. I, I, you know, I agree. I've sometimes toyed around whether or not I would want to issue to people a little journal that mm. they could carry with them, that they could just mark down what they learned in each conversation they had. Because if you make it your goal not to leave a conversation until you've learned something, it just shifts your whole perspective. We spend too much time focused on what we're going to say. And we really don't spend any time focusing on what we're going to hear. And yet what we hear is much more transformative than what we say. You already know everything you're going to say. You're not going to surprise yourself with anything that comes out of your mouth. And frankly, let's be honest with each other here. A lot of the stories we all tell, we've told before. We tend to tell, tell the same stories over and over again. So come on, focus on the part of the conversation that actually might change you, that actually might help you and enlighten you and inform you. And that's the part of the conversation that you're hearing. And I'm interested to know, because I am sure, like me, over the course of everybody's career, you have those conversations that you dread. And those hard conversations are so important because that's where, you know, we understand other people who've got probably different points of view to us. That's where we can build empathy. And you've had during the course of your career conversations with so many different people and some of those and certainly the ones you describe in your book sounded really difficult maybe because people have got a very different point of view to you they were just tough or kind of hard to speak to in kind of some way so how can people have those tough conversations and not you know shy away or get overly aggressive most of the stuff we've already talked about sarah will help you in other words focusing on what you want to learn from the other person will mm -hmm. naturally lead you to ask questions more than make statements and we know that the more questions you ask the more the other person enjoys the conversation but let me give you some very practical tips on how to get through these conversations number one if you allow someone to feel proud a sense of pride at the beginning of conversation, it makes it more likely that they will be open-minded and open to being wrong, open to new information. So sometimes I'm completely blatant about this and I will say, <laughs> listen, here's what the research says. So let's start there. Tell me about the best thing that's happened to you in the past month. Tell me about, brag for me for a second <laughs> and, and tell me about, you know, something you're really proud of. And that works very reliably. <laughs> you can get through these difficult conversations in a number of ways, but again, I want to give people actionable tips that they can actually use. So for example, in order to get through a difficult conversation, this might surprise you, but you can use affirmations. I realize that a lot of people have a wonky view of affirmations. <laughs> it seems like the kind of thing you do 
for self-help or whatever that may be. <laughs> but in fact, it's pretty surprising how effective self-affirmations are at actually carving new neural pathways in our brains. So in other words, you can use affirmations to retrain your brain so that when you get negative feedback, you don't have a defensive response, but you have a productive response. You can use them as a way to shift your brain from retaliation when you are criticized to questioning and curiosity. So whatever it is that is most difficult for you over the course of a difficult conversation, and this is the first step, obviously, becoming aware of what you're like in these conversations. Yeah. What is it you struggle with? Do you become defensive? Do you not like getting negative feedback? Are you a tone police person? In other words, are you worried about the way someone phrases something rather than the meat of their message? Whatever it is that you struggle with, write yourself an affirmation to diffuse that bomb and repeat it in your head. As the conversation begins to become difficult, you can take a breath. You can tell the person, you know, give me just a moment to think this through and repeat your affirmation to yourself. I'm here to listen to this other person. I don't need them to like me, <laughs> but they may have an insight that will be of use to me. So I'm going to listen without judging. I'm going to do all this. Whatever your affirmation is that works for you, use it. And when you finish the conversation, use it again. Yeah. It's so clear. The more... The more I kind of listen to you talk today and, and the more I've explored your work and all the research your work has kind of led me to, the more you realise just how much of a work in progress this is going to be because it's almost kind of day in, day out, you're going to have examples where everything that we've talked about today will be relevant. You know, are you building empathy? Are you approaching conversations with curiosity? How do we make sure we don't fall back into those bad habits of hearing rather than really listening and just waiting for our chance to speak. Mm -hmm. So Celeste, we ask all of our guests on the Squiggly Careers podcast just to finish our conversation today by sharing your best piece of career advice for our listeners. So this could be advice that you've been given that's just been really useful for you. It can be your own advice or it could be specific to career advice for improving people's conversations, whatever feels right and relevant to you at the moment. So my second book that came out this year was called Do Nothing. So the advice that I want to give you comes mostly from that research, which is you're okay. In all these conversations that we have about how to improve yourself, how to be better, leave yourself time to be and don't always be improving. Sometimes be. <laughs> that would be the best advice I could give. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you found my conversation with Celeste useful. As always, we'd love to know what you think. You can get in touch with us on Instagram where we're just at amazingif or you can always connect with Helen or I on LinkedIn. If you do have a spare five minutes, um, I know everyone says this, but it is helpful if you get a chance to rate and review the podcast if you've not already. And if you have bought our book, The Squiggly Career, and you get a chance to leave us a rating, you don't even need to write a review on Amazon. That would also be something we'd really appreciate. It's really hard to get book reviews and it's a really small way that you can... I guess support us in the work that we're trying to do next week Helen and I will be back with another topic to help you navigate your squiggly career but that's all for now thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you again soon Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 